Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we realize that whenever Reformation happens in the history of the church, things get messy. And after this past synod, and looking forward to this next synod, things are really starting to get messy in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We're dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. We also want to say thank you to everyone who sponsored us on Patreon. We're slowly making our way to our modest goal of 20 sponsors at $5 a month. So if you appreciate what we're doing and want to help us continue to put out content, head on over to patreon.com slash themessyreformation. You can also support us for free by sharing our content. I'm a terrible self-marketer and everyone knows that now, so I need your help. If you know of anyone who would benefit from listening to this content, let them know about the Messy Reformation. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part two of our conversation with President Hoekstra and Todd Zydema from Dort University. Doctrinally solid churches in Canada. Somebody did a big study on it and said the churches that are growing are the ones who are doctrinally sound and the mainline churches in Canada are losing. And somebody in that, one of the articles that I read about it said, you know, if I go to church and nobody's challenging me in terms of how I'm living, then what's the point? Like I'm supposed to go there to have have this gospel sort of shake me up and change me. Um, I thought it was really interesting. And I, again, it's not the reason that we're doing it is, is marketing, but it is cool that, yeah, I, I would say we're one of the only five or 10 in the Midwest that that are serious about it and, and have as comprehensive a group of majors and has a compelling campus community that I always say to students, don't let your classes get in the way of your education. I think about half of the value we do here is just helping kids grow up from 18 to 22, learn how to socialize, um, perhaps uh, have a courting relationship, build good friends, um, learn how to do life. And then, yeah, okay, we give them some skills too. Um, but, you know, we're just one of the very few schools that are doing that and more people are coming and it's it's heartening and encouraging. And yeah, we got to build some buildings. So that's right. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are about to undergo a pretty big, uh, some uh, big additions coming up here too, right? Yeah, we would always plan to do a new dining commons. Our old one's 50 plus years old, but um, we didn't see having to build dormitories. So this summer we're building 100 new beds after building 16, well, about 40 new beds the year before. And we're, yeah, we're on a building frenzy here to keep up because we we want to continue. Whoever wants to come, we want to serve them. So it's fun. Yeah. What are some of the, uh, I would, I'd be curious to hear from you guys, you know, you're, you're getting, you said you're, you're getting this broad pool of young adults coming into your school. Um, what are some of the kind of broad cultural challenges you're seeing these, these young adults come into, into your school with? 
addiction to phones that it's, you know, and yeah, pornography comes through their phones, but also just, you know, fear of missing out or you only live once mentality that comes through those phones and they're just comparing their dull, boring lives to, you know, Britney Spears or Kim Kardashian and, mm-hmm. you know, depression and, and I guess I don't measure up kind of stuff. I mean, if we could, we get rid of smartphones. Um, and, and actually I see students kind of waking up and saying, you know, I'm not going to be ruled by my phone five years ago. There's more of that. Um, so, you know, just, Social environmental stuff um, is is definitely one of the challenges. Um, also, that you know, parents have have programmed kids' lives, um, so they just don't know how to, you know, um, yeah, just interact without being programmed. But again, um, I, we just don't see. We've we've had some increasing, you know, sort of mental health issues, but not in any way compared to what we've seen at what I hear peers at state universities saying, it's just Dort students in general still come from pretty good families. Again, you know, if you took your kids to church last Sunday, mm-hmm. then you probably also had dinner with them a couple times a week instead of this latchkey children and, you know, all the crazy. So we still get pretty good students at Dort, but those would be my primary ones. Todd, yeah. what about you? Probably a different tact, but I think in conversations that I've had with faculty members, whether it's in the theology department, but also in general, is with some of the growth that we've experienced and for us taking the posture of being certainly confessionally and scripturally committed, uh, but we're also hospitably reformed. So we have drawn a number of students from a variety of other traditions. And so it's been a little bit of a moving target for some of our staff and or for our faculty of saying, what can we assume that the average freshman student will know about theology and doctrine as they they come to Dort? And uh, they are needing to, say, adjust that assumption to meet the students where they're at, to bring everybody up to speed. To be able to, um, in some ways, while we recognize it is the role of the church and parents to help teach, to even catechize a little bit of how do we understand who God is, uh, the, the work of the Trinity in, in, the, in the world. And, you know, if I, speaking as a director of church relations, provide an encouragement to pastors, um, let me stand before you and say, pastors, If you don't have a second service where the catechism is preached, don't be afraid to pull out the Belgic Confession, the Canons of Dort, the Heidelberg Catechism, and refer to it during a sermon so that um, the people in the pews uh, at least have some familiarity with with, uh, that, that, that confessional heritage that holds us together. And I think that makes churches stronger. I think it helps families grow uh, healthier and it helps institutions like Dort continue the work that we want to accomplish. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the things uh, <clears throat> I think I've mentioned on here before, you know, my church is not uh, like CRC grown church. We we were planted in a, a very uh, Catholic Lutheran community. So most of my congregation when I came had no idea about the Heidelberg catechism and they didn't, 
they didn't have the second service, right? So that's become, I said, I, I, I'm i a second service kind of a guy, but our church doesn't have it. So we're working with it. But one of the things that we've done to try to bring that in is we, we I bring in a portion of the Heidelberg Catechism into every service. That's just part of our, we've made it part of our liturgy so that we're kind of slowly working our way through that. Now, after doing that for about five years, um, we're going to start bringing the Belgic Confession in a little bit more and just trying to kind of work work that into the DNA of our church because uh, I think it's a really important thing to ground to ground us in um, our confessional reality. Yeah. yeah, I I I think it's just um, it is a, a a legacy in historically reformed churches of even going back to a catechism reference where the pastor and the bulletin are now on the PowerPoint screen will, will simply say, I'll read the question, please join along with me in the answer. And just to be able to read and hear and to be able to at least, you know, give those first lines, what is your only comfort in life and death? Or to be able to summarize what is true faith. It is a deep-rooted assurance and it is a is a heartfelt conviction. Uh, it is a knowledge and conviction, etc about all those different pieces of doctrine that I think come back to us and, and kind of anchor us as we move on. Um, I'll just take a quick moment to point out a couple of things that I think are unique at Dort related to this, but so like, I love question and answer one. I mean, it it's the whole of scripture in, you know, whatever it is, 19 lines, but Dort's a unique college in that our faculty 50 years ago said, we can't just be a Christian college by saying we're a Christian college. It needs to be thicker than that. And they wrote two documents. One is the educational task of Dort and one is the educational framework. And I'll come back to the framework particularly here. Every class here, every course here, every major here, including our athletic program and our all of our co-curriculars build around a fourfold framework of four essential questions. First of all, your religious orientation, and it basically comes down to who owns your heart. And, you know, if, if we claim that that we are not our own, but belong body and soul and life and a death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, we're affirming something about our religious orientation. Who do you serve? And if you don't claim that, right, you serve money or you serve your sexuality or you serve, you know, whatever, Pinterest or uh, and Facebook or whatever, okay, but religious orientation, we claim here that we we all serve Jesus Christ. Secondly, is the creational order of how things hang together. And I always tell students, when we talk about creational order, we're not just talking about how the planets revolve around the sun. We're talking about an ordered structure. And this is where I think, you know, the Doiwerdian and Kuyperian, if that language is familiar to some of your listeners, about how things are ordered and that God put order in economic life and familial life and government life and all of the ways of life. But then also we see the brokenness and that's the third piece of creational um, development. We see that sin has entered in and there is an antithesis. And that's something that's unique about the reformed worldview is that we do acknowledge the brokenness of sin, but also the resurrected Christ that we can see the kingdom breaking in. And then lastly is contemporary response. We say to students, what are you going to do about it? How are you created to make a difference for Christ in the world? So religious orientation, creational structure, creational development, and contemporary response are four ways that Dort 
thickens the Christianity of our institution in ways that I've not seen in other institutions that I think make a tremendous difference in our educational quality and the directional of our, our the direction that we we put our students out into the world on. I want to I want to build on that and ask a question I've probably never asked or thought of until right now. But one of you know one of the the great heritages of of the Reformed faith is this understanding of you know uh, Christian life, faith and life worldview, right? And understanding how that like what you mentioned taking that fourfold structure and applying it to every class and then applying it to, to our work. Um, and so we've been very intentional about doing that in, at the college level, kind of preparing students to launch them out into the world, into their vocations. Um, but one of the things as a pastor, I realize is a lot of our people, as they get, I don't know, it seems like 30, 40, they kind of start, start to forget that maybe. And they start to think, uh, like, well, what's the point, right? I've had a, a lot of conversations with past or farmers who are like, I don't know, what am I doing for the kingdom of God? I just hang out with cows all day, you know? Mm-hmm. And so they kind of lose that understanding of wh- how they're working for the glory of God. So what kind of advice would you have for pastors on how we could continue to kind of equip our people to keep that kind of fourfold understanding of, of their vocation as, as we equip our people um, so that that would stick we could kind of keep discipling in that as they grow up. I do think, you know, first of all, tell them that they're not so important. Um, And that is, you know, if we truly believe what we believe from a reformed worldview, there's no difference between a plumber and a pastor in God's eyes. Mm -hmm. But sadly, I do think, and, and I'm probably guilty of this myself, that, you know, people with whatever MDivs and and that really understand the you know the Greek, uh, what did Paul mean by this and that kind of thing? We somehow think that we're better than past plumbers, but that we're not. And and I think for a pastor to preach sometimes to himself that says, you know what, um, when when a plumber does his work, I mean Luther had this right that a, a Christian uh, was a cobbler, you know, doesn't. Um, build Christian shoes by putting crosses on them just builds a good pair of shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, that pastors, if they really would understand that, yeah, when somebody wakes up in the morning and plows a field or milks a cow or, you know, fixes a leaky toilet, um, that God's kingdom is brought, brought to a fuller fruition of it. But um, that's sometimes hard for us to, to, to actualize, I think. And, um, you know, um, yeah, we we have some theology majors at Dort, but but I think our engineering majors um, glorify God pretty well, and when they go out and and serve faithfully um, in the engineering world. Yeah, well, you, I mean, to use a specific example of a farmer, I think um, they might say they just hang out with cows, but I think certainly from a Christian perspective, uh, how are you how are you running that? say that industry or that farm with integrity? How are you providing and stewarding the care of these animals that have been put under your care? Um, How in your interactions and the choices that you make um, show um, good business savvy, but also respect for God's creation? Um, I think that there are many opportunities to think deeply about uh, those things. When you put it in the frame that this work is a gift from God, 
uh, how in that good gift that God provides, how can we shape and form it in a way that reflects perhaps uh, a new creational viewpoint of of how that farm should be run or how that that plumber should do his business and et cetera. Yeah. I, I had a pastor once, Herm Vanina, he's actually retired now in Christopher Church. He actually, when I was running a business, he came and said, I want to call on you. And I said, oh, should we meet for lunch? He goes, no, I want to meet in your office. And he came into my office and he said, Eric, how are you applying what you hear on Sunday in my preaching to your Monday through Friday running this company? Mm-hmm. Um, and I can tell you that I've, I've talked to hundreds of business people. Very few have ever had a visit like that. Yeah. And I think pastors should get out. You got a, you got a, a policeman in your, in your yeah. congregation, go do a ride along. Um, once every four years, um, you've got, you know, uh, somebody that's running a daycare, go spend a half a day with that person in their daycare, um, seeing how they're applying what you're preaching um, you know, because all the great doctrines of sanctification and justification and all that, it's great. But like, you know, what people do Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday, um, I think pastors just need to really, really connect with that with their people. I think it helps pastors understand. And I think it helps people show the value of their work. You know, the examples that Eric gave, um, you know, I did a ride along with a local deputy sheriff. Um, I spent uh, a good part of the day in a feed truck to uh, a guy who uh, delivered feed to a local uh, chicken. Uh, I don't know if you call it a farm, but a place where they raise chickens. And just I just wanted him to tell me about his day and what that looked like. And yeah, just talk about, okay, how how do you have the opportunity to exercise your faith? And I think he appreciated the question because I don't think he'd ever been asked it before. but just led to a great conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've often said, uh, one of my brother-in-laws, uh, this is, he's an engineer, right? So engineers can get a bad rap for being whatever. And he, he's always said every engineer should spend three to five years at the dumb end of a shovel before they become an engineer. And, uh, and I've often said the same thing applies to pastors. Um, most pastors need to spend, should spend probably three to five years at the dumb end of a shovel, uh, before becoming a pastor, because it it helps you. I mean, I'm I'm really thankful. I, at first, I was really kind of discouraged that my call to ministry came later after I had worked in all these random jobs and worked for a vet. I'm like, oh, I'm getting started late and blah blah blah. And now I'm like, no, that that is actually, especially working in a blue collar church, that has helped me really be able to. I, I know I I've worked these jobs. I've done it. I've I've been with these people. They they know me. And uh, it's helped me connect and and help me kind of. It's also given me. I have a I have a low BS meter because although none of those businesses they don't want to deal with that kind of BS anyways. Let's, let's get to the point. Um, but well, it's really, even and I, Jason, sorry to interrupt, but you know no. I understand there is a difference between blue collar and white collar. But if we're honest with ourselves, that's a hierarchy. It's a caste system. That somehow we believe that a blue collar person has a lower standing in the world, not only in God's eyes, but also economically and that type of thing. And I, you know, the next 40 years for blue collar people, um, you know, they're going to start earning what they should have been earning forever. And and I think we need to we need to test ourselves theologically if we really um believe what we believe from a reformed world in life view. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, it even speaks to, I think, some of the vision at Dort. Um, you can talk about the programs at Dort. We've, uh, in the past, uh, a little over five years now, started uh, programs that r- reach those students uh, who perhaps would have more traditionally headed out to the, the two-year vocational college, uh, the community college. And with emphasis either in agriculture and ag business or on the other side in manufacturing technology, um, we give students uh, a, a deep taste of what a, an education uh, uh, looks from a, a Christian and a reformed world and life view looks like, but also give them the hands-on experience to be able to send them out in the factory, to be able to send them out to the field, uh, to to help them to be builders on the construction site, uh, to say that those, those vocations have value in God's kingdom, and to say that there is a way to think Christianly about how to do that work. Yeah, amen. Well, one of the things I, I want to talk about, and we could talk about this specifically or more broadly, but you know, the name of our podcast is The Messy Reformation. One of the things that we want to see happen is just see reformation happen broadly and uh, from the local level, but even up through you know classical denominational levels. And just kind of from your guys' position at Dord, as you look out, it doesn't even have to necessarily just be the, the Christian Reformed Church, but but even at a local church level. What types of things do you think really need to happen for us to start seeing Reformation happen um, in our churches and in our denominations? Hmm. Well, as you were talking about the messy Reformation, I think, you know, when I was studying history and philosophy at Trinity back in the day, I remember that I came away with that thinking there's this notion of semper reformanda that reformed and always reforming. Um and only later in life did I hear that there was a second phrase on that that nobody had taught me, and that was according to the word of God. And, um, you know, I think sometimes from a, <laughs> the Reformed people and their zeal to be cultural engagers and and to to keep, you know, as as creation continues to unfold, to be open to, to rethinking things, that's to our benefit. But if it's always rethinking things from a humanistic standpoint rather than a God standpoint, so I think, you know, a commitment to um, truth, um, along with a recognition that we are all broken and we're not going to get it perfectly so that there is a big dose of grace as well. Um, but that notion that, that yeah, there is um, reformed and always reforming, but according to the word of God. To me, that that renewal and that centrality of that um I will say I grew up at a time in which the Christian Reformed Church, I think, was was so zealous to be accepted that we were willing to uh, to look at a lot of things. And now I think there's some corrective coming in, and I applaud that. Yeah. Well, I'll let you talk, Todd. I just want to jump on that because I think uh, one of the big conversations that's been happening in the Christian Reformed Church, especially coming out of last year's synod, has been what does it mean to be Reformed? And I think that's part of the conversation. I just... Uh, I just heard uh, a, an interview with Jamie Smith from Calvin, where he was questioning, are we actually thinking about this in a reformed way as we talk about sexuality in the Christian Reformed Church? Mm-hmm. And I think that the separation is where um, people, and I'll just throw Jamie under the bus, I can do that. Um, you know, I think his understanding of reformed is reformed and always reforming. 
um, but he forgets that second part. And so when we try to reform according to the word of God, um, I think that's where he's going. Well, maybe we're not, I don't know, maybe I'm being unfair, but, but uh, I just, uh, I'm, I'm worried that uh, like, I see what we're trying to do in the Christian Reformed church now is reform according to the word of God. And when, and some people are saying, but that doesn't sound very reformed. It sounds like we're maybe being too um, traditionalist or too fundamentalist is what I've been accused of being a fundamentalist because we're holding too hard to the word of God. And so I just think that's one of the conversations happening in the Christian Reformed churches. What does it mean to be reformed? And I think it goes down to that misunderstanding of uh, reformed and always reforming. I've always found it helpful in my own trying to frame this is to often think about the three strands that have been a part of, especially in the Dutch reform, but even in my interactions with other, say, even on the Scotch Prez side of say the pietist, which is like deep rooted relationship with God, the confessionalist, make sure that we have a proper understanding of scripture and then form our confessions in line with what scripture teaches. And then the transformationalist piece or the culturalist piece to say, all right, then how do we bring this into the world? And how do we uh, introduce God's kingdom into the world? Well, I think uh, the risk is when those things grow out of balance, well, the pietistic side, we can be too navel-gazing and looking internally and kind of giving the world the world and taking care of ourselves. The confessionalist side, which I think is sometimes people will say fundamentalist, they're really saying, well, I don't know that I like it that you're speaking from such a confessional background. Well, it can come off. If that is your only emphasis as 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 being maybe too legalistic, um, but then on the other hand side, transformationalists, I think, yes, we need to go out in the world. We need to be change agents, but only Jesus can redeem. We have to be faithful um, and we can only transform in the way that it is consistent with God's good order of creation and the way that he reveals to us in the word or in, in his word. And we need those three things together. And when they become out of balance, then we get sideways. And I think one of the correctives that we are finding, particularly in the CRC, is that we've been overly optimistic, I think, or we've taken our cues, as, as, as Eric said early, from a humanistic point of view, as far as what transformational means, and to say the corrective is to say, really, let's let's go back to God's word, His revelation. Um, you know, we have five, six hundred years, and even before that, the history of the church to speak about how uh, those who have gone before us uh, have considered how we are to be guided by God's word, and then. Hopefully that transfers to ourselves being able to have a deeper relationship with Christ. Um, we need to recognize those three strands. We need to keep them in balance. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's where some of the corrective is happening within the CRC right now. Yeah. Yeah. I see. Uh, I, I, that's one of the things that I've said. Um, I, I see a generation, right. And that's one of the things that, uh, that has come out of this past synod as well. I think whatever you people want to say about what happened at synod 2022, it was a big 
it revealed a lot about the CRC. And a lot of people noticed um, that there's a lot of younger men coming up, another generation coming up in the CRC that's trying, I think, trying to bring that correction. Let me just jump in. Hey, Jason, I, yes, there are a lot of men um, calling for this. There's a few women, too. I want to make sure to highlight that. I think of Jess Joustra um, at Redeemer. She was a part of the original um, writing of the, I think, the mandate to start the whole HSR. Mm -hmm. uh, Gail Dornboss is on Dort's faculty. is great. Laura Copley, uh, who I think maybe has been on your program in the past. And then also Laura Smith, faculty member at Calvin University, has been working with the Eco-Presbyterians. Yes. You know, that group um, that left the PCUSA kind of over the whole issue of human sexuality. Uh, Laura Smith was on their doctrine committee. So there's some wonderful women working on this, too. Let's not forget that. Yeah. Amen. And I'll take that correction because, uh, yeah, Laura Copley is a faithful listener. So she will listen to this and and she'll probably give me a little nudge and say, hey, what are you doing? You forgot about me. And and uh, I have a lot of respect for Gail uh, Dornboss as well. I had her as a professor at Calvin. She came in and helped as an adjunct professor and uh, phenomenal. So I was excited to see her. One, come more, one more I'll add, Mary Vandenberg from Calvin Seminary will be joining Dort's oh. board in the fall. And, and Mary and I've just built a recent relationship. She's doing some excellent work at the seminary on this too. Yeah. And she, yeah. She's she helpful at Synod as well. Yeah. Yeah. So very, very exciting to see this, uh, this another, this generation of men and women uh, raising up and uh, bringing about this, uh, this kind of corrective in the CRC. And I think that's what God, if you, you read through scripture and that's what God does repeatedly, right? Yeah, another generation will come up and, and bring about some correction. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm thankful for that, seeing that happening. And, and I'm, I'm looking forward to Synod 2023 because I, I guess I'm fairly um, optimistic about what's going to happen in Synod 2023. Um, and I think the corrective will continue. And I, I'm, I'm encouraged from the conversations I've had that, that will continue to remain faithful, even in the midst of some pretty difficult uh, conversations and difficult decisions that are going to have to be made coming up. But I'm confident that as a denomination will remain faithful. And, uh, and I think God will bear fruit in that um, uh, for the future. Amen. Well. Yeah, no, I appreciate, um, appreciate your work with that. I mean, speaking as a fellow pastor in the CRC, but also from my role in director of church relations is we're thankful for churches and for leaders within those churches who will continue to shape and guide. Um, and it helps us as an institution too, as we want to be faithful to the mission to know that we have have churches, pastors, uh, families that um, uh, are in with us buying into that same mission. Amen. Yeah, well, we want to encourage you. We're going to give you an opportunity to kind of give some final words as we wrap up this podcast. But uh, Willie and I just want to take an opportunity to encourage both of you guys in, in the work that you're doing over at Dort. We're mm -hmm. uh, we're excited to have you on because we're, we're really passionate about what you guys are doing, your vision for education and, and the way you're raising up young adults. Obviously, I'm excited enough that, uh, you know, I've got my daughters just committed to heading to Dort. So we'll be down there this fall. Uh, moving her in and helping her get set up and she's excited to be there. So uh, you guys, uh, we want to encourage you to keep up the good work, but we also, we always give every guest an opportunity to kind of give some final words to our audience. We've I always let everybody know we've got pastors and elders and deacons and lay leaders who are listening to this podcast. And so as we wrap up, what, what are some kind of final things you you'd want to leave them with? 
I'll just start and let, let Eric finish. Um, my line that I often bring to churches uh, when I have the opportunity to just extend some some greetings on behalf of the university. You know, when I go to lead worship, I make it about worship, but I try to take at least a minute or two to extend some greetings and maybe some updates. People are anxious to hear about them. But I, I tell uh, the congregations there and the councils that I have a chance to meet with before the service is that Dort is a better place when it has a close relationship with the local church. And we find that we are of mutual benefit to each other. Certainly, we benefit by having your covenant youth come to, to Dort so that we have the honor and privilege of being able to steward their education throughout the time that God calls them there. But when they walk across the platform and receive their diploma, we send them out. Maybe God sends them to the other side of the world. Maybe God sends them to a different part of the country. But quite often, God sends them back home, at least to your area and region, maybe even to your home church. And they, we have found just through some anecdotal polling and studies, is that Dort students get involved. They're faithful on Sundays. They volunteer in programs and places to serve within the community and the church. Uh, perhaps in, in time, God calls them to positions of leadership, maybe even to serve in your council as an elder or a deacon. And uh, as I was able just to witness personally uh, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, a Dort graduate uh, who it was the pastor of the church where uh, I was able to bring a travel worship team to, um, we are in this work together. And, um, and I'm thankful for that, that, that shared work to help train up people to be kingdom servants. Yeah, I would echo everything there. Um, and yeah, just think we covered it earlier in terms of, you know, Christian education. I think, um, you know, the, the place of the instituted church is really, really important. And, and the way in which uh, pastors exhort and, and, you know, do their preaching. Um, but, you know, the, the Monday through Friday or the Monday through Saturday world of discipleship happens a lot through Christian schools. Um, and let's, you know, we've got a center case, the Center for the Advancement of Christian Education, helping Christian schools, um, yeah, really become first-rate schools. I think we're never honoring to the name of Christ when we do anything uh, subpar. So Christian schools have to be good schools, and then they have to be fully infused with, with Christian teaching. Um, so keep it up. Pray for us. Um, hold us accountable. Uh, I love it when people call and say, um, hey, I got this question about Dort. We want to be um, in relationship with the instituted church as well as with alumni and parents and pastors. So uh, thank you for your support and interest in Dort and this podcast. That's all we have for this week. If you want to help us out and support the Messy Reformation, another thing you can do is head on over to themessyreformation.com. Look in the menu bar and find Join the Reformation. By clicking on that, you can sign up for our newsletter where you'll get episodes sent right directly to your email inbox, and it will give us the opportunity to communicate with our audience, which is one of the biggest struggles of a podcast. So head on over there and sign up for our newsletter. Now, stay tuned next week for our conversation with Michael Seville. But until then, don't forget this is Christ Church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy 
Reformation. <laughs>